Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. But here, there's so much more opportunity for growth because America's so big. And when you think about Ireland, it's almost, now that I look back on it, it's more like a tourist country. Growing up, very lower-class family, you know, my mom always worked in other bars or like healthcare. My two sisters both work in a bar. You know, my dad never worked. And, you know, none of my family graduated high school. So I was the first to kind of go through high school, go through college, and then moving out here has been really unique and cool because I have a lot of nieces and nephews and cousins now who it's a big part of me and a goal of mine to show them like there's more options out there than what we see or presented with at home. I'm Josh Cash, and this is the Tom Rowland Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast today. We got a good one for you. Today is a little bit different than most of the other podcasts that we've done. This one is going to be with my friend Josh Cash. And Josh Cash is an Irishman. He is a true Irishman that has come to America. And he is married an American. And recently, he has gone through the process of getting his green card. Josh is somebody that I work out with a lot. Somebody I train with, somebody I talk to a lot. And uh, I don't know, man. He started telling me this story about getting his green card, and I just thought it was fascinating. I'm not bringing this to the podcast for any sort of political uh, statement about immigration or anything like that. I just thought it was a really interesting story about how someone from Ireland, what they need to do to come to this country and work and live and it is a process that I didn't really know or understand at first and immigration is in the news so much right now that uh, having someone that I know like trust you know kind of understand having them tell me the story of of going through the immigration process was incredibly interesting to me I hope it'll be interesting to you as we talk to my friend, Josh Cash. All right, Josh, how's it going, man? It's going good. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Good deal. You were just telling me that you're, you're having trouble with the headset because you're deaf in one ear? <laughs> yeah. So, was born, I don't really know the name of the disease, but it basically, it's fed by water. And I was born with a hole in my eardrum, and it kind of fills up sometimes with with gunk yeah. and every now and then when I was younger I used to get it cleared out but with the whole near drum I got about seven percent hearing in my left ear so well, in my in my right ear I have about seven percent hearing because of shotguns and outboard <laughs> motors and and the rest of uh an outdoor career living outside so we're about even your left your my right <laughs> that's about right sounds like a, a southern a southern America right there I think so I think a lot of I think a lot of people have um pretty significant hearing loss in their right ear. It's funny, I can hear I can hear certain things very well and I can hear other things almost not at all. And it's almost like it's a it's a frequency thing. Like like something walking through the woods, mm-hmm. I can hear that really well. But 
I don't know, like sometimes people talking, I can't, I can't understand what they're saying. So I have to turn my other ear to them or something. But I know a lot of people that are, that are a little bit hard of hearing in their right ear. It's the exact same. There's sometimes where someone would maybe be talking to me and I haven't realized from my left side and the words travel all the way around and hit my right ear. And then I turn to the right side and the person's over there to the left and I haven't realized, but was that a problem growing up? A little bit. I, I uh, sat closer to the front of the class in school um, just so that I could hear things like that. Um, when I when I got older, you know, I had operations every six months. I think I had seven operations total. Seven operations, really? Yeah, on my left ear. Like um, more so than like tubes in your ears, like more more serious operations. Yeah, that. so they would cut open the back from the back, and it kind of folded on. And there's a lot of gunk that would form up in there. And they would scrape out as much as they can until it got too close to the brain. So there was a, I still get that. I still get my ear cleared out sometimes, not operations, just kind of it's a suction process. Um, but basically there was a chance to kind of do that, um, to get an operation to try and clear out all of it and, yeah. and stop it. But there was also a chance of being paralyzed on the left-hand side of my face just from a risk of doing it. I just decided to... I didn't want to do that, and um, I just kind of go and get it cleaned out every now and then. Yeah. And, um, other than that, it's pretty good. It also has its positives, you know. It does. Yeah. What are they? Selective hearing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, oh, sorry, sweetie, I sorry, didn't hear dude, you. I, definitely, I didn't hear you. I, to watch I must have missed that. Yeah. <laughs> so I had a. <laughs> my mom kind of figured that out when I was starting to grow up, and um, kind of used that sometimes in the wrong ways, but. Um, it, it was all lighthearted. It was fun. <laughs> <laughs> and then you said you went blind? Yeah, so that was crazy. So I was a bit of a joker growing up in school and in the classroom and whatnot. And, went, you know, one morning I woke up and I just, I couldn't see out of my right eye. And I told my mom about it. She, you know, told me to stop messing around, whatever. Went to school, told my teacher. Anyway, it took about four days for someone to actually believe me that I couldn't see out of my right eye because it was so like unbelievable that this was actually happening. I was kind of telling people, but laughing like, you know, I, I actually can't see out of my right eye. So I went to the, um, I don't know what the name for optometrist or yeah, whatever it is. And, um, they kind of took one look seeing, you know, for glasses or whatever, you need to go straight to the hospital. So I went up to the hospital and what was happening was long story short. Um, I was, I was forming fluid in behind my, my retina. And my retina was detaching, and with the fluid, it was being pushed up. And, you know, I spent, this was the first time it happened. And I spent about a month and a half in the hospital. We wow. did, yeah, we did uh, every every test under the sun with regards to blood tests, heart examination, like anything that they could think of. Basically, what started to happen was they gave me steroids and stuff like that, and the eye itself, the retina, when the fluid died back down, the retina became and just reattached itself. And so there would be a period for, you know, about three months, one and a half to three months where I just wouldn't see out of one eye and then it would reattach itself. The second time it happened, it happened in my left eye. And it happened five times total, three in the right, two in the left. I have twenty twenty vision right now. And they couldn't never figure out what it was that was causing this? Never figured it out. Case actually came to America. Um, my doctor had a conference in America, and she brought it over to seek, you know, any sort of advice or if there's anyone who would researched anything like it. Um, I went to Bristol. They kind of have different doctors come and see it, and no one ever figured it out. The last time it happened, I was 20 years old, so it hasn't happened in, in six years. Wow. Happened it happened once a year for, for six years on or five years and either I and never never crossed paths. It was always only one that that kinda went at Well, at one I hope time. that's over. Yeah. It was <laughs> it was really interesting. I still have all the photos and the doctor's notes and, and all the stuff I've kept with me. They come over from Ireland to here in case I ever it ever does happen. I've got all these notes that I can that I can take with me and, and show the doctor like, hey. It's happened before, and this is what they've got so far. Wow! So it was it was strange, but I have to. I, have to, I wonder um, if you know Turner, my son, had had the eye issues, and we went to this amazing doctor, Brian Boxer Walkler, out in um, in California. I wonder if he would know anything about that. 
that'd be cool. Any anything or well, anyone let's just hope help. it never comes back. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Let's so that. so tell me about where you grew up. You grew up in Ireland. Yeah, so grew up in Ireland. Um, I was there for you know nineteen years of my life, and then I moved to England for university to go to University of Liverpool, John Moores. And then from there, I ended up moving out here about two and a half years ago. Uh-huh. So, and that was um, you were at a camp. Yes. So, kind of started working at Camp Ozark in 2013 in my summers. So I go to university. And I had a friend there who told me about this sports and adventure camp. So, basically, you could go, you could work, and then in the aftermath, you could travel or keep your money and use it for college. So. I come out here and I worked and did high adventure stuff or soccer program stuff at Camp Ozark and, and loved it. Kind of spent my three college summers doing that. And then when I graduated, Wade's wife, Debbie, who was my boss at the time, they basically hired me full time and, and helped me get a training visa to where I'd be out here for 18 months. So that's kind of what I wanted to talk to you about today is this, you were telling me that you've just been through this green card process where you get your, your green card and, and it has all of these, well, I mean, you basically have to go through the immigration process. And, and so today we hear a tremendous amount about immigration into America and how that's changing. And I was just really surprised to hear what you went through, and I'm not trying to make any kind of political statement about immigration or anything else. I just found it really interesting, the story that you told, because you're married to a, a U.S. citizen, right? So your wife grew up here, and mm-hmm. and so when did you get married to her? So we got married in March 2017. Okay, and she was she you met her at that camp? Yes, so her name's Franny. She's awesome. We met in at Camp Ozark in 2013 in my first summer. And then when I moved out here, she also got a job in our ministry side. So she worked for middle school ministry um, in Houston, and we started dating up there, and, and she's from Birmingham originally. Yeah. And then we got married in, in March 2017. Okay. And so when you get married as a, as a non-citizen, you're a citizen of Ireland, right? Mm-hmm. What does that look like? Is there any special thing that needs to happen? Yeah. So it's kind of a long process. It was. It's also going like, It's called change of status as well. So at that time, I was on um, a training visa, which I think was a J-1, which basically Ozark had helped me get and basically hire me and say, you know, we want to hire this guy because we can't find anyone else who can do this specific stuff. And we're going to provide these training credentials. So they would have to write out a training program and different phases of what I was going to be doing at each step of that job. So then transitioning out of that, my visa was actually due to end in March 2017. How long of a period is that where you get the training visa to, to when it expires? Yeah, so my specific one was 18 months. I, I'm not sure if you can get different ones. I know a lot of J1s are, you know, 90 days, three months. Um, but this one was a different type of J1, and it was 18 months. Basically, going from the J1 where mine expired in March my wife and I had an option of, you know, at the time we we wanted to to get married. We knew that we were, you know, going to going to get married, and it was a choice of either do we want to prolong it. If if we do, then I leave in March, and then we need to figure out a way that uh, getting basically it's like a marriage visa where you know you're engaged to be married to someone who's in America, but that could be anything from a year and a year and a half before I could come back to the country. So you wouldn't even be able to return, like, on a vacation? I could come on a vacation, but, you know, it couldn't be any more than that vacation time, two, three weeks. Two or three weeks. Unless I had a different type of visa, but visas take time. So was there ever a thought about moving back to Ireland? There was a thought, but then we figured out that, you know, if I still married while on this training visa, then I was technically doing it legally. And then from there, it would be a change of status again to moving in to getting the green card, which was a whole other process. But we, we thought about going back to Ireland okay. for a little while. And, and then when you decide you're going to stay in the States, what's the next step? Like, how do you do that legally? So basically, we, I 
had a lawyer um, come in and he was kind of giving me advice on what's best to do and uh, best practices. And we really figured out that the best thing to do was to get married on my current training visa. So that wasn't expired having to go home and then do a whole visa process, which could take a lot, like a long time. So when you get married, you're basically transitioning into the green card process, which is can be a long time depending, I feel like where you are going through. Mm-hmm. For me, it was the Houston office, which had a lot of immigration going on um, and still does have a lot of immigration going on. So the process was going to take a long time. So how that looked was that you, you apply, you send in your application for your green card. And while you're waiting on that, you also apply for it's a work permit and a travel permit. The work permit and the travel permit can take, it took me six months to receive that. So I went, you know, four or five months without work. You could not work at all. No, it was illegal for me to, to work. Okay. So once I got married in March, a week later, my visa ended, and then I was in application process. So I was waiting on my work permit coming in and my travel permit, so I couldn't leave the country. If I left the country, I wouldn't get back in, and I couldn't work legally because I didn't have a work permit to work in the United States. So um, I waited. We basically kind of hung out with her family until my work permit arrived in, in November 2017. Mm-hmm. And the work permit lasts a year. And the whole point of the work permit and travel permit is it provides you that window on the wait for the green card. My green card was still taking a lot longer. And then in July, I had to reapply for an extension on my work permit and travel permit because that extension was needed because it was going to expire in November, mm-hmm. this November passed. And while we had applied for that and we were still, we applied for that in July and we were waiting for the paperwork to come in, which could have been, you know, January, February time, I got the green card appointment for late November and then received my green card so you, two you, weeks ago. You told me earlier that you had been waiting for two years, right, to get the green card appointment? Yeah, just under two years. So March, March 2019 would have been the two-year point. So you know, like a year and eight months. You basically file an application or, mm-hmm. or what? And then they're just, they just say, well, we'll let you know. So yeah, it's, it's crazy. So basically you, you file an application. I had a lawyer who kind of helped me with all the paperwork and stuff. And I was in a very fortunate position in that sense, because not a lot of people have, have that option. Um, basically he sends me paperwork. I complete to what he asks me. Um, you have to go and get fingerprints taken. You have to go for medical examinations um, at different points. You know, you have to submit evidence that you're actually a married couple, mm-hmm. like photos of here's me and my wife at Thanksgiving. And <laughs> this is her mother and this is her dad. And my parents came this year and this is my mother. Her name's such and such. And this is just to get the appointment, just to just to file the application to get the appointment. It really just helps for whenever you actually get the appointment. Okay. So it's it's to prepare you for when you go in and ask questions. So they build a file on you. Yes. That you have, this is who you're married to, this is her family, this mm-hmm. is your family, this is this is what you're doing, who you are. Yeah. And they build that file. So mm-hmm. when you, so so then in this period of two years waiting for the green card appointment, you're, you've got these different visas that you have and you're, you finally are able to start working again. But you don't have any idea when this green card appointment's going to happen. Zero idea. So, it's... so it could. You you're married and you're living here, working, and you could expire, right? Like your your temporary visa, mm-hmm. work visa, could expire. And then what would happen if that expired? So when that expires, uh, there's different routes that you could you could possibly take. I mean, you, you're really just letting the government know, like you're just waiting on your interview. Um, how I would go from there is my lawyer would basically just provide me different options, whether, you know, that's a different type of visa that you can apply for. Maybe you have to go back for a little while just mm-hmm. to, you know, if you can't work, then you need to make money somehow. But Or leave the country, right? Yeah. And if you leave the country, then you may not be able to get back in. Yeah, even with a travel permit, this was the scary part. So when I did have a travel permit, and my, me and my wife traveled. So for, you know, we'd go home at Christmas and then also we went to like Jamaica or something at some point. Basically with the travel permit, it's at the discretion of the border patrol officer. So when I come back in, he can still, if he feels there's something fishy or he just doesn't believe it or whatever it may be, he can at any point say, 
decline me entry. So in you this just case. thought that Jamaica was a good idea, and instead of like Key West or, <laughs> or, or California or someplace. <laughs> I mean, we got a lot of nice places in the country without yeah. having to take that risk, right? That's right. But we, for our honeymoon originally, we had booked Jamaica. Um, and my lawyer had given me this advice that I could go. And once it was all booked in about two weeks before we left, he was like, you cannot leave the country. So we postponed our honeymoon. Um, until a year later, and we went for our anniversary slash honeymoon, and we explained to the the airlines and the resort, and they gave us a year to use up what we had paid. Mm. So once I got a travel permit, it was like, yeah, you can travel, but it's still at your own risk. Okay, so what does it look like when you get this letter that you've got this appointment for your green card? And what exactly does the green card mean to you? Like, after all of this, the green card gives you what kind of status? Oh, it's huge. So. You know, when my wife and I traveled, we we get we go to different lines. She goes to U.S. citizen line. I go to the immigration line. Right. With that, especially with connecting flights and things like that, when she goes there, she could be waiting. You know, there's one time she was waiting up two and a half hours just until I got through. Sometimes they may not like something. You get held up a little bit, and they just ask a couple of questions, and I guess just making sure. Now with the green card, I can go straight through. We can always travel together. It just gives me a lot more privileges in the airports. And then as far as work and living in the United States, it's was there a time period on the green card? So I think it's a three-year. gives you two or three years of – you're basically like a citizen. And what happens is then once you have been married for more than two, two or three years, you can apply for citizenship. Mm. Um, and then citizenship is going to be, you know – the angle essentially because once you get citizenship you don't have to reapply for green cards you know and i think that's every seven years maybe you you apply for a new green card um and that process can be more expensive than you know it can add up instead of just getting citizenship right so now you get this appointment and you go where do you go to get the green card and what does that whole process look like what do you have to have prepared or what do you, what is what does that mean? Like you get this appoint, you get this letter in the mail that says you got this appointment. Does your stomach turn and say, "Oh boy, I need to have all this stuff prepared," or is it super exciting? Or what? Yeah. What is going on at that point in your mind? Well, it's a mix of emotions because you can you can get declined for a lot of different reasons, but also it's exciting because this is what you've been waiting for, and this is kind of the angle um, that's just going to make. I guess, you know, life a little more easier in terms of documentation and, and travel and just everyday life things. And even even at, at work, as far as, you know, it's always a question when you're applying for jobs, like what's your status look like? Um, right. You know, do you have a green card? Are we going to have to sponsor you? Like, and that kind of turns away employers. Um, but basically you, you get this, you get this letter and my wife and I, you know, my wife's a little, a little more, emotional so she was she was excited slash nervous um lots of questions basically we've been preparing where we're sending our lawyer all of these documents continuously for you know the last year and a half two years and he had built up a file that was sent off to um, uscis immigration and they literally just go through all the file and what's going through my mind is i mean a lot of the reasons that you can get declined for are fair enough reasons like you know you committed a couple of crimes Sure. We want you in America. Right. If you have a health examination, you've got a disease, we don't want you in America. If you're coming here to, you know, and entertain some sort of terrorist organization, you know, basically, right. you know, stuff that we all know is wrong that probably isn't going to leave you in good stand anywhere, not just trying to get, not just trying to get a green card. But the other things that you can't control are things like delays and the judgment of the, the immigration officer. So, for example, I've been waiting this long, and basically with the medical examination, if the doctor had just forgot to sign it, it just goes to the back of the pile, and you could be waiting up to another year until you get another appointment because the immigration officer cannot allow to pass that file because it hasn't been fully complete. If the immigration officer sees something that he thinks just doesn't look right or thinks is fake, you can you know end up in immigration court, or basically they just decline you the green card and then that's a whole other path that you've got to you got to take you can fight against it or you know basically 
concede. And mm-hmm. but being married to a U.S. citizen makes the whole process a lot more likely than other routes that you can take to become right. a citizen. Well, plus you have a, a a few other advantages, I would imagine. First of all, you speak English, yes, which has got to be a huge thing. You I would, would imagine nice. that these officers speak other languages as well, but but the ability to for you to be able to read these documents and not just rely on a lawyer if mm-hmm. you even were capable of getting a lawyer in your case you you have this person this lawyer that's taking care of you you've got your best interests at heart and is looking through these documents himself probably making sure all the everything's signed i would imagine so you have a third set of eyes your wife's looking at them you're looking at them you've got somebody else you actually speak english what does it look like when you go into this facility like where is this facility that you're getting your green card appointment yeah so it was in houston because my application was originally based out of houston and the big thing for me is you know i'm i i don't feel like i'm emotionally high strong i mean i i feel like i'm pretty stable when it comes to but at the same time i feel like i also became very numb to the whole process and and just that's the way it was was you know more so my attitude like this is this is just the way it is and you know i'm nobody special everyone else is here just as i am and we're all going through the same thing like this is this is what it is but looking at my wife and seeing how infuriated she was at this point this was like the first time we kind of done it together because it was usually a lot of up things that i had to go and hand in for myself mm-hmm. where she had came and i mean seeing how mind-blowing she was by it and seeing the emotion that was going through her made me kind of realize like, yeah, this is actually really crazy. What is, what is blowing her mind? What is, what is, what, what was she seeing that she wasn't expecting? So when you walk in there, basically it's like walking into airport security. You know, you walk in and my wife and I are the, the only two white people in there. Everyone else, different race. It's just a whole different culture going on from, different corners or different cultures, just so many different people from around the world in this big, massive room. And it's just noise, you know, just loud noise, loud noise. And a lot of folks there don't speak English. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine what it would be like having English as a second language or not knowing English at all during this process, which made me really thankful for, for that. But, you know, you go in and these security officers are, you know, screaming, you know, and I don't know, you can't speak for every facility. But this was just this specific day, and this is the way it was in my experience. But, you know, you, you, you Chinese folk there, I remember specifically there's a Chinese man who, I mean, just not a lick of English at all. Um, and they're screaming, you know, take your shoes off, take your belt off, and, like, pointing. And he's, like, looking down, like, no idea what they're talking about. He's, like, pointing, trying to figure out, and just the anxiety you could see going through his mind. And my wife is has a lot of empathy for you know and like a high intensity of empathy for a lot of people and that for her was just really upsetting but then once you get in there the desperation that you feel in the room you know there's people who you can tell have borrowed suits they're all suited and booted and you know they're clutching onto their every last piece of paper that, you know, we all don't really know what they mean. We're just told this is what you need to bring. Right. So that's all these pieces of paper that you're clutching on too tightly because, you know, one little mistake could be fatal in terms of, you know, getting getting your green card or whatever visa it is you're applying for or not, mm-hmm. you know. And I think for my wife and I, the big realization was like we are, whether we get this or not, we are still in a very fortunate position because there's a lot of folks in this room who do not want to go back to wherever it is that they've just came from. Like right. they, this is, this is it for them. This is, this is the option. This is what they've been working towards. This is the only thing that they see as hope. And just being in that environment is one where you can have a lot of reflection on, you know, no matter what happens here today, we are in a very fortunate spot compared to what a lot of people are yeah. in this room or in the world for that matter. It was just eye-opening to be able to see that, but also to be able to feel that and kind of being taken away from the numbness that I felt like was there towards it all and be able to think, you know what, this is a, it's okay to think that this is a little crazy because it is. You know? Well, it's absolutely, I, I, I mean, I've never been in that situation. That's one, that's one of the reasons why I'm, fascinated by this story because I, I don't know. I guess 
when I think of of immigration, and you and I have been friends for a while, and and I just you, then you tell me that you're doing this, and it just didn't sink in. I guess that this is what you were going to have to do, and you were going to have to go through this like anyone else from anywhere else in 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 the world, friendly, non friendly, you know, allied nation, non allied nation, whatever. Yep. English speaking, non English speaking, everyone goes through this process or everyone is supposed to go through this process. Do you see this process as so intimidating that people just avoid it and just go illegal immediately? Well, you think about it this way, right? So the position I'm in, my my wife's uncle is a lawyer. So he was able to provide me with an immigration attorney <clears throat> that I didn't pay any money for. Mm-hmm. So already I'm right. I'm I'm at a good spot. Secondly, you know the people that the community that is have uh, managed to find here in America who's all willing to help. And my language is English, first speaking. That also puts me a step up in the sense of this is not going to be as hard of a process than what it's going to be for a lot of other people. When I picture myself coming from Central America or places like that. I almost understand why people just don't do it. It's, you know, coming here and, and first of all, it's a lot of money that you need to, it's a lot of money to get here. And then it's a lot of money to to do the application process, especially if you're using a lawyer, mm-hmm. which a lot of people will because you make one silly mistake and the whole process is down the drain. So I think that it is, I understand why it needs to happen and I understand the importance of it in terms of protecting American and its citizens from, you know, just anyone and everyone entering the country that could be bringing anything or everything. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if I picture myself as a refugee, there's no way, there's no way in this world after just doing it, would I ever want to, would I ever want to do it as someone in their shoes? What if you didn't have a choice? I mean, like, so the refugees are coming and they don't speak English and they don't have attorneys and they probably maybe if if they're a, a true refugee they didn't bring anything other than maybe, maybe they have identification mm-hmm. where does that process start for somebody like that like they just here fill all this out well <laughs> good luck there i'm not really sure from a refugee standpoint i do know if you enter the country first off without a visa then you already entered the country illegally mm. so that alone warrants you not to get a green card if you ever did anything illegal as far as entering or exiting America, you, from my understanding, you can't you can't get a green card. Mm-hmm. So, for example, some of the questions were, whenever I was on visas, was basically, did you ever abuse them? Did you ever stay longer than you were supposed to? And you know, if those answers were yes, that would have been an issue for the application. And you know, for someone as a refugee, <clears throat> and how overwhelming it is their life must already be to coming in here. I feel like the opportunity ahead of them is already greater without even having to go through a green card process. Hmm. Like it, they, they have so much ahead of them that they didn't have before that. I don't even think that's a thought in a lot of their minds. It's, it's not, it's, you know, I have a lot of friends here and it's more so it's not really an option. It's just kind of, this is the way it is. I've got some friends who, who their parents were from Central America and they moved here illegally. And then basically my friends are on visas continuously, but they can never leave the country. Hmm. They can never go to a different country because if they do, then they won't get back in right. to America. So but they can get a driver's license. But they can get a driver's license. Um, they can work here. There's different things that you could do, but there's also a lot of limit limitations to whatever status you have. Right. Well, and so this place, this this big room with all of these people and this noise, and how did that end up for you? Like, how long were you there on this day? You and your wife go to this thing, and just tell me about the process of of going there and meeting with your with your officer, and you're clutching your papers just like everybody else. And then what 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 happens? Like he just goes through every single piece of that paper. So what was really refreshing and and nice was, I mean, you exit, we, our experience overall, you know, 
was probably a good one. I mean, we we get in there, we spend probably 20 minutes waiting, which for the whole time I've ever been doing any of this is pretty unheard of. And we get called in for our for our interview, and the guy who is interviewing us is so calm. So you're you're exiting this crazy this crazy building where this room where it's just filled with all of these people. It's just like loud noise. Just you can hear different languages. You you can just feel the tension in the room. And when he invites us into his room, it's like it's like going from a crazy storm, and the the storms just stopped, and it's just super calm. It made me really thankful that we had that specific officer because you never know who you're going to get and you don't know what kind of day that they're having and you don't know what impact that's going to have on on your application. And when we went in there, it also made me realize why why this has been a long process. I mean, I step foot in there and I see two files and they're, you know, what about six inches thick? Mm -hmm. And that's all just me filled, filled with paper just different paper and he's the only one he goes through it he's the only one and he has to check every single document he has to sign to make sure it's been checked like he's going through both of my files and you know the houston office a couple years ago was backed up a lot in terms of applications so they were focusing a lot on back-end work and not doing enough interviews so now it's got backed up by about two years is what they're saying and now they're doing a lot of interviews but the stuff on the the front end's being left, hmm. so now it's starting to pile up. So they're trying to b- find a balance on the best way to work that, and they're probably a little bit understaffed from what the officer was saying. But going in there from from that room to to his room, and it, just his demeanor, his voice was calm. He was never raising his voice. He was never harsh. You know, he introduced himself. Um, it's like I'm here to help you guys today. Um, obviously, we're going to go through this application i'm going to ask you some questions you answer them if you have any questions for me you let me know and even i he went through the pages you know he wasn't like because you're sitting there and you know like if there's something missing that's going to be an implication mm-hmm. so you know he's not like rushing through and rumbling through pages you know he's flicking calmly just kind of looking for different stuff and i get to talking to him a little bit and after we started to feel comfortable and he had asked his questions, he was like, you know, it seems that you guys are prepared really well for this. Um, if all goes well, if all the paperwork's right, I can tell that you guys are, you know, truly married and truly care about each other. And this isn't something that you guys are just going through to obtain a green card. Mm-hmm. So it was very much so if all goes well, if the paperwork's here, you guys should be good to go today. So from that, obviously, it's a big, you know, yeah. a big relief and pressure kind of left off to your shoulders and you kind of settled down a little bit and I just got talking to him about his experiences and and which was really cool that he was open to share about and you know he he was telling me that people just go in there day after day and just lie to his face just <laughs> straight up lie and again goes back to the desperation of how yeah. much people want to be here but just lie to him about about marriage or about whatever it is that they're they're trying to do to obtain some sort of visa or green card and he says it's so blatantly obvious you know what kind of stories did he tell you so there is one that i remember specifically where this family had just staged photos (laughs) like they had they had gone and got together and like staged one family gathering and he said it was just so blatantly painful you know so it was just obvious and painful that they were really sticking to what you know that they tried to convince him, and he just wasn't wasn't having it. Um, but the best thing about it was that with his demeanor and how much we'd seen going on out there, was that you know we just said to him, "Hey, you know, we really appreciate your demeanor, and we think that this job for you is really perfect for the, a lot of people who are going to come in here because we want you to know you're really good at it. Like as far as calming people and making them feel comfortable." you know, have you always done this? And he said, no, um, this has only been my second year doing this. I actually normally work with refugees, which in my mind was really cool because I'm out there and I'm seeing all these people who, who can't speak English. Mm-hmm. And then I'm getting this peace of mind and knowing that a lot of them are hopefully going to come in and meet this guy who seemed to care. And he was fair. You know, you got to do, you got to get your crap done. Like this is the process. This is how it works. But also, very understanding, very calm, 
collected compared to what everyone else was mm. out in that room. So there's a lot of a lot of times where I was sitting going, you know, this process is terrible. I don't understand why they make it so difficult. And there was a bit of a slap in the face for me when I get in there and met him and mm. realized how hard he's been working and not seeing, you know, his end of things and realizing that that's something that a lot of these people are going to get the encounter and that they actually do care, you know. I wonder how easy that would be to turn that off. Like he works nine to five or whatever, and you're going in there and you're just having people lie to you all day or or you come across the one person like yourself that everything is lines up and they're, and they're missing a signature and you know that you just got to bump them back for a year or something and and you got to toe the line, but you're also trying to be like really, you know, thoughtful and 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 caring about what you're doing but it's you know somebody isn't doing something right you have to you know he know he definitely knows the implications of what that could mean that Mm -hmm. could be the a bad bad person coming into the country and he could be responsible for it but i wonder how easy that is just to turn that off and what kind of process you got to do when you got a job like that to get prepared for the day like you walk in there you have no idea what you got you have no idea what's coming up for the day. No. And then when you leave, like, do you think it's just as easy as he just turns it off and takes off his uniform and sits down and watches TV or goes and works out? Or I think people have their different processes and how they process things, but it's it's got to be really difficult, especially for, and I think he's probably learned a lot in working directly with refugees, and he obviously has a gift for for being able to do that. But it's got to be hard in the sense of you know like you're making a break in someone when the desperation to get into the country is so severe. Yeah. But to do that job, I feel like you've got to have a good balance. It kind of reminds me of like someone who's maybe into social work or someone who's a doctor and in surgery, just kind of, you need to be able to not carry that stuff home with you. Mm -hmm. And I think for him, from what I picked up from him, it was very much so like he wanted, he, his demeanor and how he worded everything was basically, it was all fair. It was, I, I'm here to help you. I'm not here to, you know, I'm, I'm in no way here to make this process difficult for you. The only person who's going to make it difficult is yourself. Hmm. So, and I feel like as far as that goes on his conscience, it was like I was, go, I was doing, I was going to do everything that I could to make sure that this went good. Yeah. But if you don't present me with what I need. That's right. I mean, that's that's the thing. Like he's trying to help, but he can't help too much. Yeah. Because then he's he's not following protocol. And, you know, you got this all you're missing is these initials right here. I can't let it go through. Yeah. I can't let you do I can't let you just take that pen and initial that. Like (laughs) And that goes into that goes into everyday life. You know, that goes into the any it's just because it's a heightened process because of how important it is to people. But when you think of like small decisions that people have to make, you know, even even yourself as a parent or whatever, you know, you know the difference between right or wrong. Mm. Whether how severe it's gonna be in someone else's life, it's 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 a matter of, of right and wrong. So you know, I understand that this is gonna be difficult, but you were told to get this and you haven't. And because of that, just like anything else, there's going to be a consequence. And this is what the consequence is. You know, if it had been the other way around where, you know, you were able to provide me with everything, then, yeah, there there wouldn't be any issues. What else was amazing with this guy was that he knew right away that after we talked for about 30 minutes that it was going to – he was going to approve us. Depending on paperwork, we asked him, you know – we had big flights to go home for Christmas, and I was waiting on the extension for the travel and work permit, and I couldn't go anywhere without it. So we had big flights, but if that didn't come in in time and the green card didn't arrive in time, basically I wouldn't be able to go. We we would mm. just spend Christmas here, which wasn't the end of the world, but just because we booked it and we right. had set expectations, we were excited to go. So I said to him, you know, what's this look like? And again, going back to him, going to do everything that he can to help me, he said, listen, you know, your green card's supposed to take two to three weeks. Like I said, if this process goes well and you've laid everything in front of me here and we're able to sign it all off, I'll give you, I'll stamp a temporary green hmm. card into your passport. Wow. And you can use that up to a year until it arrives. Wow. So it kind of goes back to, oh, I hear your issue. You know, that's tough. I'm sorry. That's what's going on. Here's the thing. 
I can't stump that until I make sure that all this is complete. So it was him saying, you know, if you provided everything and all your paperwork's in here and I can sign it off, I would happily stamp your passport until you get your green card, hmm. which just kind of goes back to him again, you know, just just and fair. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I've heard your issue. I want to help you with it. I just need to make sure on my end that you've provided what I need. And if so, we'll give you the stamp for your passport. Wow. So a lot of the times I felt like unjustly unfair, you know, phone call conversations, USCIS. We at times seeing a lot of the faces up front who are just dealing with like security and things like that. And I'm thinking, you know, these people suck. <laughs> like <laughs> I, why, why do they, like, why do they have to be the way that they are, you know? And then going in and meeting this guy and the one who's making the ultimate decision and kind of going through that experience made me realize like, it's not all what I had in my head. And, you know, it's just like everything else. Like, it's fair and just, and this is just the, the this is just how it works. This is the way it is. So it was an interesting experience. It would um, be challenging, and I know that a lot of people, um, you know, immigration is such a hot topic in the news right now, and and everybody has an opinion on it. And it would be challenging to, you know, come up with a better system, I think. Like, there's just so many people that are trying to do this, how, what's a better system look like? Like, it's one thing to talk about it and say, oh, we're going to, we're going to make this much easier or much more difficult or whichever it is. But then there's the other thing of just, there's just this massive volume of people and paperwork that has to be done. How do you make it easier? Or, or, and, and then there are others that say, don't make it easier, make it harder, make it way harder. And, Okay, either way, how do you change this process into whichever way you want it to be? Like, yeah, I could see that it could be way harder. You could have, you know, five more hoops to jump through than than you already do. But, like, I, I don't know. It's just such, it just seems like such a big machine that it would be hard to turn, like a big ship to turn, you know? Yeah, and it, part of it to me seemed like it was a business, Oh, I'm you know, sure it is. It's very much so like you got to have the money to be able to do the process. Um, well, I would imagine that there are some shady characters in this <laughs> in this world of everybody from you know, just like the movie show that the guy that <laughs> that runs the runs the people across the border, you know, for for cash or whatever. But then from there to even someone that's trying to do it completely legally, I bet there are just some attorneys or people that call themselves attorneys that say they're going to help and just, I mean, dealing with with people that don't speak the language, don't have any idea what's going on, that it just have a, a pocket full of money and that's all they have to their name and they're trusting these people. It just seems like that is that is an environment that is just ripe for for people, you know, bad people getting in there and just, Taking advantage of those who are desperate. Yeah. The thing is, like, it, I knew by doing this whole process as well, and the opportunity that you have in America is so great compared to even even in Ireland. You know, in terms of what your life can look like, how much you can make, what you what you can do to provide. I mean, not now since I've been working here. I mean, I can provide ways, providing ways for myself that I never thought I could, and then on top of that, I'm able to provide for you know, my sisters and who aren't able to make the money that I make and also have kids and, and, and my family. There's just so many more things that I can do. Like, like what, like, like what's, what does it look like the difference between Ireland and like your life? If you were to say you and Franny are going to move, move there, what is, and you're going to do a job that's similar. What is the difference? So basically, you know, moving, coming out of college, you're lucky to make between 18 and 20,000 and that's pounds. So about 25, 26, which isn't bad money. Like that's, that's, that's good money at home. But here there's so much more opportunity for growth because America is so big. And when you think about Ireland, it's almost, now that I look back on it, it's more like a tourist country. Growing up, very lower class family, you know, my mom always worked in other bars or like healthcare. My two sisters both work in a bar. You know, my dad never worked. And, you know, no one in my family graduated high school. So I was the first to kind of go through high school, go through college, 
and then moving out here has been really unique and cool because I have a lot of nieces and nephews and cousins now who it's a big part of me and a goal of mine to show them like there's more options out there than what we see or presented with at home. So going on it from from that road, like coming out here and, and now I work in a job where, I mean, I make more than anyone in my family has ever made. Hmm. 26 years old. And I mean, it's just kind of the start of my career. And it's not really, I don't think, you know, there's choices that I've made specifically that has allowed me to get here, but also a lot of the influences I've had in my life to get me to this stage and be here in America just provides you with so much more. So it, it's it's interesting to think like, I mean, the only real difference in me being so far up to where I am is kind of being here. Hmm. You know, the people I've met here, the opportunities that were presented, the jobs that you can achieve, like the job I'm in now, you know, I, I, it would be it would be almost half at home mm-hmm. in terms of money wise. But then you know, living your health care is paid for and things like that. But it's you can just get so much more here, and then with that, you're able to provide so much more when when you go home. Also, now that we're at this phase in life, it's kind of really exciting that hopefully that can be something that I can do more for for my family, and that's mm-hmm. just something that you know my wife and I are excited about. Um, I'm thankful for. So it's, 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 it's just a different world. I feel like, especially I can just talk about Ireland. I don't know what it's like in other countries, but the opportunity for what you can do and achieve here is so much greater than what you can, than what you can do at home. How does it, how does it affect your day-to-day mindset that, that you're here and that you've achieved this, this green card status and, and basically now, you know, you've, you're on the, you're on the highway, you're, you're headed down the road and you can do anything right now. So you always seem to be overwhelmingly thankful and grateful just in, in being around you, but we've never really talked in this depth about, about this, about the difference between Ireland and the United States and this whole process of getting the green card and seeing what you've seen in this intense desperation and everything. And I just wonder how that, how that affects you on a day-to-day level um, as far as like thankfulness or, or being happy with where you are or the goals that you have set for yourself now. I mean, how does that change? Yeah. So like, I mean, especially now where we're starting to see it more gathering up, you know, we bought a house recently. My family's never really had that opportunity. Um, But it's always just feels like a continual season of gratitude where it's thankfulness and, and go bringing that into my daily life. Like there is nothing, there is like nothing in this world in terms of my current world that is really going to just upset me. Like as far as, you know, what I've got, you know, I've had a bad day in the office. Great. Like no one really wanted to talk to me in seals. I didn't make a seal this month. But when I just reflect on like going from growing up to where I personally came from, and then being in this situation of like even RRL and getting to place myself in opportunities where I can meet guys who were able to go and do things that they set out to achieve, you know, um, and like yourself and, and, and Wade and Alan and all those guys that come from different backgrounds and different paths or went down different career paths. Mm-hmm. It's so unique to me that I get to even come and work out with these guys and, and, be able to just kind of place myself in something where I can just learn more from. Like, again, that just wouldn't be something I could get at home, you know? So in my daily life, kind of anyway, a lot of times is that I can give back towards my family specifically and and try and not get caught up in, like, getting more because you can't, like, you can get so much here. Try not to get caught up in that aspect, but just slowing down a little bit and talking to my family and seeing where they're at as far as, you know, what can I help you with? Like, I'm very fortunate to be in a position that it just so happens I fell in love with a girl from America and now, now I'm here, mm-hmm. you know? Like, it, it it just so happens that this has now provided me things that I can provide you with. So what can I help you with? And, it's, and what kind of things are you helping your family with? Yeah, financially is a big thing. Yeah. Having my nieces and nephews being able to just fly over and hang out and something that we can hopefully begin to pay for, showing them that they can maybe come here, 
college may be an opportunity for some of them. And, and just seeing my family being able to step outside of a small town that they grew up in and stayed in. Every one of my family live in, live in the town that we all grew up in. And stepping out of the habits that were formed and stepping out of different culture and into a new culture and being able to just open their eyes to you a little bit to what else is out there. That in itself is just, just big for me because I was fortunate to have a lot of role models and influencers in my life through sport, people who just cared about me. They provided me with opportunities to go different places that planted the seed to where I just wanted to get more and more. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, your sisters don't have that opportunity when they have kids at 20 years old and they're a single parent and, you know, or your mom and dad never got an education. So they had to, and they had a couple of kids each and they're single parents and they have to try and figure out what. So it, it's just having those opportunities now to where they can just come and experience a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And knowing that that's something that we can just totally provide, yeah, is going to be really unique and just a different aspect for my family trajectory. Yeah, and so a lot of this, a lot of these opportunities, the opportunity to come over here in the first place, that was through sport, right? And soccer was your was your main sport. So, how, what did that look like? Like you, you got good enough at soccer that you got on an international travel team, or? So, um, soccer was basically, I mean, I was obsessed. That's all I did. I did every, every after school sport there was just so I didn't go home. I mean, I, I would go shot tennis balls for the girls tennis teams. I would go stand in goals for floor hockey and the girls sports and I'd go down to rugby and be the smallest guy there and just hang out with a coach. I mean, I just loved sport. That's what I did. But soccer was, was my main sport. And I basically played from a young age, um, ended up playing semi-professional in Ireland. To, you know, it's it's part-time football. It's You get paid a little bit, you play, you train a couple of times a week, but it was Irish League soccer, so it's kind of the highest the highest you can go in terms of um, Northern Irish soccer. And then I played in university, and basically with the sports and adventure camps, they hire people, counselors and cleaning staff, and one of the positions was instructor specialists. Specific for me was soccer and ropes course stuff. So I was studying for... You know, I was doing a lot of rock climbing, canoe and kayak, and, and ropes was what I'm more focused on. And then with soccer, I had a lot of experience in coaching youth teams and things like that, to where that's how I eventually got out here in that position and was able to able to share my passion in those ways at camp. So it was sport was a big pathway and for me coming here for sure. Is that a is that a traditional pathway for people like to get out, the people that you've seen, you know, move away or get out or, or do other things? Is it typically through um, sport or, or? Yeah, it seems that way. A lot of people I meet were college athletes mm-hmm. who came from the UK and a lot of them would have been, especially with soccer specifically, were in professional academies. So like um, Premier League soccer teams or just below that to where they maybe just didn't make it. And then the next goal was, well, I could get a full ride scholarship in America because a lot of them have still had a lot more experience and are a lot more talented because of the opportunities provided in, mm-hmm. you know, England to be able to get the high level of soccer that would be more than high enough to play here. So a lot of folks seem to come over on scholarships. Um, and then from there, it's really just what happens when so, you're here. So how would that be different in this whole immigration process? If you're an athlete that comes over on a full ride scholarship is, is, is there an academic visa that you that you do? Like if you're enrolled in a in a school and and all of that, that you can just go and and there's no problem being here for four years, or is it a year you know one year at a time that you have to figure that out? I'm not sure the specifics on that because that was never my route, but I want to say it might be one year at a time. Uh-huh. Um, but also, it, it, once you get here, you know, depend on. I met a girl the other day who's from Germany and. It seems like the the only real route to stand here is Marion is really yeah. But even then, even I mean, even in this conversation, that's what I would have thought before we had this conversation that you get married and basically your roads paved for you. But that's not necessarily the case. I mean, you you still had to go through a tremendous amount of of uh, of paperwork and all of these these appointments, and then then you still could have screwed it up, mm-hmm. right? Like not had all your paperwork or whatever and 
just just getting married is not enough mm-hmm. at all. No, it, it's no, it's not. You still have a chance of not being able to stay here when you get married. I know a couple when I worked at Ozark. He's he's around your age, and it's either his sisters or brother. Anyway, one of them they haven't seen their husband or wife in seven years, uh-huh. and they're married. But all this paperwork and and trying to figure out their way around it. I'm not sure of the specific issue, but it's looking like 10 years before they'll actually, so they like got married, basically parted and haven't, she hasn't been able to get back in to the country. And it's, it's looking like 10 years is going to be the length of time that it'll take before they actually spend some time together in their marriage, which is just mind blowing to me. Like, so it's, it's what, what I meant to say was, it's probably your best option. In terms of getting a green card, but obviously I'm in no way encouraging Marion just to get a green card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the Hollywood movie. That's that's the uh, there's been a bunch of Hollywood movies like that. I think it's Gerard Depardieu had a, some some movie about he was trying to marry marry somebody to get to get his green card. Someone uh, someone was talking. I forget. I don't know if it was. They were talking about it the other day. There's a really popular one, but they basically Probably do that. that one. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but, but, no. but in the movie, it, it, you know, they made it out like if you get married and you know, and it, everything looks good, you go into the the meeting and and they look over everything, then you're good, you yeah. know. But still, could look staged. Yeah, to that the, sounds like Hollywood. The, yeah, <laughs> could still could look staged to the officer, even if they were real pictures. So okay, so from here. Where uh, where do you go from here? What's your what are your goals? What are you trying to do? Um, so it's an exciting time. Basically, trying to figure right now if citizenship's a possibility with as far as Ireland goes. So I'm not sure. Coming from Northern Ireland, I need to figure out if we can do dual citizenship. Big part of me doesn't want to lose my Northern Irish citizenship, but long story short, it might be. If it is something that they don't agree with and you can be one or the other, I will just become an American citizen because it would be so much more difficult to go from this to having my wife go over there and then going through a process of getting her transitioned and everything. So the next goal will be citizenship, which would be a couple of years down the road, and really just just grasping any opportunity I can while while I'm here and, and just running with it and see where it leads down the road for – for my wife and I, but then also for my family and, and what we can do there is became a big, a big passion of ours. And hopefully we can provide in ways that we didn't think was imaginable before. So that's, that's kind of the, the next steps and figuring out what that looks like career wise. I'm still unsure, but we're, that's kind of the goal right now. Well, I tell you what, this has been a really interesting conversation. And uh, as always, I love to surround myself with people that are thankful and grateful and, you know, just, just happy. And that's what you always seem to me. And you just seem like you're just, every day is just, you're just super happy to be, to be wherever you are and being super thankful and grateful. And uh, so I'm glad to call you a friend and I appreciate you coming on and telling us this story. Awesome. Thanks for having me. And um, I'm looking forward to a lot more RL, RL memories. Yeah, we'll be definitely doing some big time workouts (laughs) thanks man all right see you josh see you well thank you josh for being part of this and being willing to share your story with us i really appreciate it i learned a lot about the immigration process a lot of stuff that i did not know so i really appreciate josh coming out and um, being part of this podcast we have so much new stuff going on more stuff on the website tomrollandpodcast.com And so many of you have sent emails, which is awesome. Love to hear from you. Love to hear your suggestions on more guests for the show. Love to hear what you're doing. And I encourage you to send an email. Send an email to podcast at saltwaterexperience.com. Let me know what you're up to, what you think about the podcast, and if you have suggestions for guests. Also, you can follow me personally on instagram that's tom underscore roland r-o-w-l-a-n-d instagram that's the social media platform that i'm the most active if you'd like to see what goes on on a regular basis follow that account and also follow saltwater underscore experience on instagram those are the two social media platforms that i pay attention to most so if you want to 
get in touch with me, podcast at Saltwater Experience, or the Instagram accounts. All right, until next week, I will see you on the water. I'm Will Cooper, host of Hunt Stand's Make Your Mark podcast. If you haven't already, download the free Waypoint TV app to listen to our podcast and watch the original films from Hunt Stand Presents anywhere, anytime, and on any device. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.